My name is Joshua Edward Wright. I was imprisoned in Portland, Oregon, United States for 50 months. And during that time, I realized that not a lot of people know what we go through. So what I will be offering is personal narrative in the hope that the listener will be able to realize the validity of the statement that no human being belongs in a cage. Welcome. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the podcast, The Exiled Voice. Today, I have with me Zafar. Zafar, you want to introduce yourself? Hey, everybody. Thank you for having me on this show, Josh. My name is Zafar Abdullah. I did 40 months, got out when I was 22. I'm, and um, originally, you know, my time at Ignorance, Jahilia, pre-Islamic Ignorance, I got arrested for distribution of cocaine when I was 18 years old, so just uh, going to prison while I was young and then coming out still young because uh, I just literally got out. I appreciate you being on. Uh, if you want to, for the audience, just kind of take us through, you know, how your arrest was and like going into prison itself, especially being so young, you know, just like what, what you went through and what you were thinking about, you know, your emotional state, just whatever you want to talk about. We'd love to hear it. So basically, you know, I got arrested. I was 18. The way in which I got arrested was a really um, kind of like a big scenario. You know, it wasn't just your typical like handcuffs are on type situation. We was coming up from Portland. I got arrested on the coast and I was um, on like the back streets of like Warrington. I don't know if anybody knows what that is, but it's like literally in the middle of nowhere. Right. So there's like trees. I have no cell service. We're going over the speed limit. End up getting pulled over by this cop that pulled us over again. Like, this is the second time he pulled us over. He pulled us over, like, two weeks prior because um, at the time we had, I had a 1995 Thunderbird with a V8 engine. So last time he pulled us over is because we didn't have a license, but, I, you know, the car was in my name. So he basically he wasn't going to let that pass. And um, he said, he said it, you know, it was a typical cop rhetoric, like, oh, it smells like marijuana in here and whatnot. Anyway, so they were going to tow the car. See, at the time, I didn't know, like, whenever you get your car towed, they have to do an inspection basically just in case like that way you can't say like oh for example let's say i said i lost um a diamond ring in there right and i can't like sue the tow company or whatnot so they didn't they were doing an inspection i didn't know that i left my uh, bag at the time and this other rookie cop was like oh we're gonna search this bag and, he, and the older cop you know i pulled us over he was like oh yeah sure so at that point you know i knew like it was going down because Again, this is, you know, my, in my time of uh, Jahilia ignorance. So I had a lot of bad things in that bag. And basically the police unzipped the bag and right there, you know, there was a gun already loaded and everything. And then the, everything else was there, you know, a scale, you know, cocaine and everything. So the cop goes to basically arrest me, you know, when they're just like, okay, we'll put your hand behind your back. So I put my one hand behind my back. And as soon as I did that, he went to grab it. I just ran. And I ended up like hiding these bushes, man. I don't want to really make this story too long, but I ended up hiding these bushes for like probably like 30 minutes. I thought I was slick at the time, man. I'm wearing like camel joggers. The cops ended up like, this is because this is like literally in like a small white, like cake town, man. I'm telling you like, and when they came to um, give me all the bushes, like they had their guns drawn on me and everything. I, I, you know, I came out the bushes and they have no gun on me. But like when I was running and jumping through yards, like he was like saying like, oh, I think he has a gun. Like, Apparently in the police report, he thought I had another gun on me, which I didn't, but 
Um, so they tackled me as soon as like, you know, I got out of the bushes. Then they took me to the SWAT car. I went from the SWAT car to the county jail. The whole funny thing is they were going to release me. Uh, it's something called Matrix. Basically, they have a small jail system and they were actually going to release me because in all reality, my charges weren't, you know, that wasn't a menace to society or nothing. My charges were drug related. There was no violent charges. And, you know, however, I was already on OIA, Oregon Youth Authority um, probation for some priors. Yeah, I ended up um, staying for for county like over the weekend. And on Monday, I thought I was going to get processed and let out. Instead, um, my OIA PO basically put in to come and get me. So they had someone transport me and then they ended up getting me and I went back, you know, to the whole Oregon Youth Authority system. And from there, I went from Hillcrest to McLaren. And I was I was actually at McLaren for 20 months without um, getting any time served just because I caught this offense already on OI probation. So they revoked me because of the alleged, you know, offense. So like I mean, really, in the American court system, he's guilty until proven innocent because that's how, you know, they treat the whole situation. So um, they revoked my parole. But I, w- I was just doing good when I was at McLaren, man. I went to college. When I was there, I did community college. I was in the garden program for, like, the majority of my time. I was about to get in the barber program. But, like, and I ended up moving to, like, the honor unit, you know? I'm not going to lie. When I first got there, you know, I had a little I, – I, I wasn't doing the best when I first got there. But after a while, like, I was doing good and whatnot. But I just I knew a lot of people there anyways because you know it was my basically my third time back in the whole OIA system. So I was just trying to have you know basically some fun and whatnot because I was still a kid you know when I got back there. But I had my time you know pretty well preoccupied while I was there. And then I ended up taking a deal for 27 months for distribution of cocaine, possession of firearm, and then from there. I went to Coffee Creek in December. Actually, December 12th is when I went to Coffee Creek from McLaren. So I went to Coffee Creek. I was there for about 44, 45 days. Then I got moved over to Deer Ridge. I was probably at Deer Ridge for a good eight months. So Deer Ridge is a you know, correctional institute. We're talking upstate prison at this point. Uh, it's a minimum, but it's ran like a medium in the sense that like the staff and the COs, as in the correctional officers, you know, they treat everybody like basically dirt, you know? Deer Ridge, man, I had like my bar rights like extremely, you know, violated because, you know, I'm a practicing Muslim and, uh, you know, I used to live in an ignorant past, but, you know, I found Islam, Alhamdulillah, you know, Deer Ridge particularly, man, like the CEOs, um, there's a couple incidents, but this one that really just like highlights that I actually am, uh, have like a, you know, legal thing going on with is that the CEO basically told three of my other uh, brothers that we couldn't pray on the yard the chapel was closed and it was closed for friday which is our congregational prayers known as jum'ah and it was uh it was in the month of ramadan right so which is the month we fast so like you know it's ex it's even more than you know it's that special that we have our you know obligatory congregational prayer in the month that we fast but the chapel was not open once at that time so that's like another thing that was like weird uh, that was highlighted also like that first day we went to the yard um, to pray in the grass area because like like the way the system is set up is if you're not running if you're not playing basketball if you're not working out or walking or on the phones that you have to be in the grass area and that's in the middle of the yard so which we were and there was other groups of people you know like they were doing their own little uh i think there was a group doing their bible studies and there was there's groups of over four and the, and you know in prison if anybody knows prison you got to be for a group because otherwise Anything more than for a group, they're gonna 
the CO's correctional officer, they can basically assume that you're up to something or this is a, some type of gang uh, meeting or just something, you know? And anyways, so we were at that four limit, which is valid. And the CO basically just like, just rushed towards us. As soon as she got on her ship, she came out and started yelling at us like, hey, you got to stop praying. So we followed her directives, you know? And we were like, okay, so like, like, why are you telling us this? And she's like, oh, it's in the rule book. Da, da, da. And I was like, all right, well, we're going to check the rule book. And she's like, yeah, you can check it. So, man, I come to find out, I go in there and check the rule book. There's nothing in there. I, like, after that incident, we, I was asking, like, we were asking other COs, like, hey, can we talk to the officer in charge? And, um, like, he came down, man, and he just basically added fuel to the fire, man. He was just being disrespectful. He threw out this weird, like, oddball analogy he said because we were like look this is not in the rule books and he said something along the lines that well you know if my if you piss in the day room floor that's against the rules but it's not a rule book so we're like oh so at that point we're like okay so your your analogy here is you're you're comparing our religion to someone urinating in public in this floor and he just walked away man so it was just very like disrespectful and like the ceo like like started like messing with some other people you know that were involved during that um one of the other four people like they would she would search him all the time and it was just like weird like moving forward and going on after that yeah so so after that i would i would love to hear because i know that you transferred to columbia river correctional institution the prison that i did the most time at uh here in portland oregon and i'd love to hear how that experience was for you and you know anything you got involved in while you were there yeah so actually i ended up like I said, I was at Deerage for about eight months, and then I transferred uh, to Columbia River in about September, late September, maybe around the 22nd. And this was in 2019 because I was there for a year, and I got out in 2020. So when I got there, man, I was I was already, you know, um, have been done a lot of, I wouldn't say a lot of time because a lot of people are doing more time, you know, but I've already, like, basically did most of my sentence. And then, then some, because I did the 20 months, you know, I'm a clarin without no time served. So I was already, you know, accustomed to moving and transferring and just being incarcerated, you know? So it's well, not like much, I was really... How much time had you done by the time that you were, you were transferred? So I, uh, so I've only, so upstate time, I did eight months. But if you include McLaren, it was about 28 months because I never got released from McLaren. I went straight from McLaren upstate. Right. So total confinement, you know, being in confinement by the, you know, the state. And their various uh, organizations is 28 months, but specifically adult corrections, upstate prison, eight, about eight months. But yeah, I went to Columbia River and like I knew some people already there, you know, just from knowing people, you know, around my age, but also just from Deer Ridge, you know. So like as soon as I got there, you know, I, I took care of the priorities, you know, I, I said hello to the people I knew. And then I basically got myself involved with, you know, the things I'm most, you know, passionate about. Like I asked, like, OK, so what's up with the Muslim community here? And so the brother, um, you know, the brother's like, oh, okay, I'll introduce you to so-and-so. And then so, you know, I went went around, went to outside to the yard, worked out. And then I started meeting some of my fellow Muslim brothers. So I um, just linked up with them, you know, off the dribble. And then I also, like, started hearing about these other good, like, programs there, you know, like Going Home 2 and Lib Lit. So, like, like that Monday I went to Going Home 2, which is, you know, Mike Fester's program. And that's, that's a great brother. Um, and, you know, I, I still work with him to this day. And then I, um, obviously I went to Lib Lay, which is a program that you, you know, help basically start, you know, and to come into Columbia River. And so I, I started going to their classes on Wednesdays. So I would have Mike Fest class on Monday. I would have Lib, Lib Lit on Wednesday. 
and uh you know libla was a great uh resource in there you know it just gave me some time to like read other stuff you know like some just some books on like just stuff that's going on especially like in uh social problems and social crises and stuff like that and it's just you know basically good to just get like talk to pe- like real people you know and, uh, and like from the outside world and get a perspective and whatnot on fridays you know i'd have a my most important group i had juma you know but and so that was great because you know i i'd uh imam shambaz would come in every other week and I, that's someone i currently still work with that that was great and then like just you know connecting with it you know the same religious community that i'm part of was great and then just overall like my experience at columbia river man like juxtaposed to like deer ridge was just completely different like like don't get it wrong like it wasn't like um a pie in the sky obviously i was still incarcerated but i was making the most out of it you know and i, I you know i was slowly building on just persistence and patience so i was you know i was being grateful for the situation i was in because it could be a lot worse you know so i was just trying to plug away and try to stay positive and get involved in the most positive things i can um during my incarceration and at columbia river you know i ended up so like when i first got there I, you know I, I i would actually um lead the prayer and my, my other brother uh, brother muslim who you know uh from the but I'm not trying to say his uh, government name, you know. He was leading, you know, the uh, sermons and the kukas, but I would lead the prayer like like with the, since I first got there. And then like, but when he left, because you know, obviously, um, he got out, and then I, uh, you know, I stepped up and was basically like the liaison for the Islamic community. So I would like work with the chaplain and like um, just like get whatever any needs that we needed. I would you know coordinate that with the chaplain and stuff, especially like for like uh, during Ramadan and just like getting the pronounce for uh, for whatever we needed. Yeah, so that was a cool experience because it just gave me some um, sense of responsibility and also just being able to like, you know, kind of just move more freely around the prison just because, uh, you know, all this, it's a small prison. So all the COs knew me as like, okay, so, he, you know, he's the guy that, you know, helps the Muslim community, you know, he's a Islamic liaison, you know, and uh, works with the chaplain and the outside voluntary mom Shabazz. So like, it would be easy for me to be like okay hey um i need to go see this brother on this unit like even during covid like i was like having enough juice man where i was like because i would know like the ceos just from being there and i'm like hey i need to i would just go up to a unit and they're like oh what are you doing here i'm like oh i gotta hand this out i just came from the chapel's office and i'm like okay so that was actually uh not too bad and then i obviously like as soon as i got there like because at deer ridge i was doing good man so like i i got my um level three which would be the equivalent to like um it's just like extra it's just like good conduct can, yeah like an good conduct, and, good conduct yeah good conduct and and then that in that like that justifies you for being on housing on an honor unit so i went to unit one which is like you know a big deal because that's the housing unit and um on unit one you know they got their little playstations xbox and stuff the cool thing about uh, the honor unit is like it was just way more space because uh, all these other units are like warehouse you know people are like literally like warehouse like you can you extend your arm and there's basically another bunk is right there. But on the honor, honor unit, it's more floor space and it's it's a little better uh, living conditions and whatnot. Yeah, I remember like I was on unit one for, I don't know, at least two years, something like that out of the 46 months I did. And it is really strange to have like video games in prison, but take into context for the audience, like we don't, if a controller breaks, we can't do anything about that. And all of our controllers had something wrong with them. We have a really and, limited amount of games. Well, also, um, you actually have, we had to buy, like, the only way, reason we were able to play the Maddens and stuff, like, we we had, we bought the PlayStation 4, you know? And even in then, like, 
it was crazy. Like people would buy like certain stuff. And at that point, it's no longer yours. It's the prison's, right? So the prison has it forever and they can take it away from you. They can, they can give it to another unit if they really wanted to, you know, cause it, it yeah. I mean, it's the prison. You can't do anything about it. And, um, even though we bought the PlayStation four, it was the, like the CEOs would like just straight up, like just trip on us. They'd be like, Oh, you have to sign up or like, Oh, you, you can only be on it for hours. Like, man, like this, this man's family just paid like four or $500 to get it dropped off. You telling me you can only play for an hour. Like, come on, man. Like this is, why would you even, you know, uh, condition us to that? Like, even though there is games, they, it's just not free access. to them. It's yeah, still in the confinement of prison and the whole power control thing. I mean, liberation literacy, as Afar mentioned, uh, Lib Lit, and that's a program that I uh, co-founded with an outside volunteer named uh, Garrett. Dr. Garrett Felber. And while I was doing time, it was around like the second year of prison. And since then, it's just been, you know, going really, really well. It's gotten a lot bigger. Um, the inside group was always kind of the, the rock of everything. It's about racial justice and prison abolition is the main work that we do. But we also just educate on the inside with each other and, and commune. And I just have a safe space to kind of discuss about, discuss things that are a bit more intellectual, a bit more um, higher level than the kind of like average conversation that we have on the inside. Um, so I'm, I'm just really happy and pleased that that, you know, program got done and we, we, we got it figured out. Um, a couple of questions I had for you, because you mentioned, you know, finding Islam and, you know, being Muslim and stuff like that. And I, I would just love to hear, you know, both how you found that and how that resonates with you and how you similar to that is like how you found that peaceful way about you like because because i remember for myself i had to find that it took years to to do the work necessary to be in total control of yourself you know to such a high degree that that violence is always the last resort and so i just love to hear you know how you found that similar thing and especially how you you know resonated and, and found you know islam i would say i got guided to islam right but yeah, so I, I went to um, Deer Ridge and I, one of the brothers, he was actually like a barber. We didn't know each other, but we knew some of the same people and he, he was a Muslim and um, and he was just t- telling me, you know, about um, Islam and whatnot, but he wasn't really like preaching nothing on me. I, I was just curious myself because at that time, like, I, I just didn't like believe um, so much so in just like other other religions and like in their concepts, but I always knew there was like one God and and whatnot so i just i just started like learning more about islam and it's just such a beautiful religion and just everything just clicked and made sense and like um so i just like started like um reading the Quran and like like just going through it and it's just like clicked and made sense man and i ended up uh taking my shahada which which is an arabic word which just means like bearing witness and that's just like so like in arabic it's uh, and that's just um, saying that, like, I bear witness that there is uh, no deity worthy of worship except for Allah, the one God. And I bear witness that Muhammad is his servant and messenger, right? And that, that's how one becomes a Muslim. And ever since then, I've been, you know, striving on, uh, like, the straight path, which is known as, a, like, Surat al-Mustaqim. Man, it's just been, it's, it's just been amazing, man. And it's like, um, like, I learned how to, like, read and write Arabic. Um, I can speak, like, a little conversational Arabic. You know, I, I'm still pursuing like learning more, and um, in in there, like I actually like learned a bunch. Like I would I would spend a lot of time studying, and and that's also like one of the reasons too. Like you know, I 
I got into Live Lit is just because like like people knew me as like okay you know this guy's not some guy that just like talks in the yard like he actually studies and whatnot um but yeah even besides that like just um finding like my peace and like man it's just like Islam is a peaceful religion like the word Islam literally means submission it means peace it comes from the same root word as salam which means peace it's which is the like a slm in arabic it would be the letters that uh seen a lamb and a meme and like hebrew it's a semitic language so it shares a consonant system of three consonants makes up the meaning of the uh word it's based on a root word system so it's just a peaceful religion man and everything you know teaches peace and just like knowing that you know my troubles and anything is not you know it's it's merely test and that everything you know at the end of the day, you know, it's whatever, you know, God wills, whatever, you know, according to his plan. It's just beautiful, man. And like, I slowly implemented that because I can't just, it wasn't just like one day I woke up and I was just like super like, you know, peaceful, but like over, you know, I definitely became more peaceful and then fasting. Like um, the whole reason we actually fast is to gain, you know, to gain a uh, taco, to gain piety and to gain like the, you know, consciousness and awareness of God, like as a fear of God is in the sense that like, he's always watching. So you don't want to do anything, you know, that would upset him because it's just that high um, level of, you know, uh, love and respect and just, just God conscious. But like, that's the reason why we fast is to become pious, you know, because it's like, it's a safeguards us from a lot of temptations. So like just fasting and just doing my prayers and just learning more about the religion and just uh, being more knowledgeable, like really helped me out. you know, get a sense of uh, peace. It's just um, overall just beautiful. And then just plugging away in like these other uh, programs, you know, like um, going to Islamic studies and just like leading the Jumas when Imam Shabazz wouldn't be there, you know, because um, like when I went over to Columbia River, I was like the, you know, the liaison Islamic community. So I would, when, uh, you know, the outside Imam, Imam Shabazz, when he couldn't come in, I would not have to do the sermons and the prayers and stuff. So it was just good. And then like, obviously like coming out, you know, whoever I am, you know, I always present myself fully as me, you know, wherever I be, because, um, you know, there's there's two things. You know, well, there's a lot of things, but like two things that are, you know, pretty uh, pertinent to like this context is like in Islam, you know, there's no conformity and there's no um, compulsion. Right. So I'm not going to there's no compulsion in the sense like people can believe whatever they want to believe. You know, I have my own beliefs. I'm not going to force anybody to believe what I believe. You know, it's like to me is my religion to somebody else's theirs, you know, so there's no conformity either, you know, so I'm not going to like conform my morals, my principles, as in my you know morals based upon the religion, you know, my the action based upon the religion. So I'm not going to conform the religion to society standards or to, to, other, to other people's desires or try to, to fit in, you know, so I'm going to present my authentic self wherever I may be. So, I mean, yeah, that's been working well, you know, and then I'm. Like in, in prison, I actually got my name changed, you know? But yeah, like just coming out and just like plugging away with like uh, community members and working with like Imam Shabazz and like uh, attending the Sunday, he do these like Sunday discussions and then, um, and just like helping helping him out whenever he needs help and just, just going to those things, man, it's just, it's just great. And like originally, like I would say like, like there's this, um, there's this verse in the Quran that's like, like, you know, when I first got arrested, I thought it was, like, horrible. But, like, it, it was actually, like, being arrested, bro, it was, like, because because I found Islam. It was the biggest blessing in my life, you know, finding Islam. Getting arrested was actually a good thing, you know? It was, it was like, some people would say, like, uh, a hidden blessing. And in the Quran, like, uh, Surah 2, verse 216, you know, it says, um, 
but it is possible that you dislike a thing, which is good for you, and that you love a thing and is bad for you, but Allah knows and you know not. So like that, you know, really, you know, stuck to me. Like it's possible that I might, I dislike that me coming to prison at that time, but it was, a, you know, that, that in itself was a good thing for me. And I just didn't know it. But at the end of the day, you know, Allah, God, he, he knew it because he's the best of planners. And so it just, it turned out for the best for me, man. So, yeah, I mean, I used to tell people kind of a similar thing. It's like prison is a terrible place, but it's, I did so much good stuff there. Like I, I was able to accomplish so much and start a lot of things and none of that would have happened. And also met a bunch of people, you know, that I have in my life now and, you know, even professional acquaintances, personal relationships, stuff like that. And none of that would have happened without prison. But that's not to say that like prison was the cause of that. It was like right, prison right. was kind of a byproduct of what I was able to do. And, and that, that can be even spiritual, like what I was able to do with God's help, with Allah's help, you know what I mean? So it, it's not that prison is good or like it was a good experience, but it's like what we did with prison. Right. What well, we made, made the yeah. most out of our experiences, you know, um, exactly. like the similitude, you know, um, diamonds form under pressure and whatnot. Yeah, man, I would say like really anything like um, that brings you closer you know, to Allah, to God is a, is a blessing, even though it might seem bad. And anything that drives you further away is, is really like a punishment, you know, because like people can like get like a new job or some type of wealth. And like, like, you know, that might seem good, but really like they'll lose their connection, you know. Uh, yeah, they'll, they'll gain spiritual or i mean they'll right. gain earthly possessions but not like right, right. wealth right so just having that mindset you know just taking it uh taking those tests and trials to wrap up a little bit two things is because you mentioned you know gaining more power and status and i remember that happened to me as well like that you start getting put in charge of stuff and all of a sudden staff treat you different and you can almost break some of their rules yeah it's, it's weird right like it's, like, it's really yeah. weird I don't really say power, you know, because um, but I would say like responsibility, because like nobody that gets put in those positions really wants to, because it it's also like uh, you're also a target at the same time, you know, because you okay. know if anything happens, it's like okay, well now we can pinpoint on you. It's walking that narrow line, like are they cool with me or are they just like secretly trying to get me just hemmed exactly. up, like doing uh, reconnaissance or something now that they're talking with me more and stuff. It is weird, like that now that you know I'm have a like a staff or a chap well the chaplain's always been cool you know he's always been cool um and real respectful so i i never got no weird vibes from him he's actually real respectful uh you know to every uh, faith-based community in there but like even just having him like you know as like basically like a like a name drop situation like oh, okay well you can call the chaplain like like then staff would be just more like you know cool but it's like like you weren't gonna be cool with me just based on my basic you know i'm a human being and like just at a, at a normal, you know, decency and respect. But now that I, you know, have uh, some minuscule like backing within the confines of this prison, like now I'm just like somebody that's okay to like, oh, it's okay. You're wandering the hallways or it's okay. You're on another unit. If somebody else did that, like, it's not okay based upon what? It's a weird scenario, man. Yeah. It's, it's like, they don't care about your humanity, but once you get started, get some influence and stuff. Now, all of a sudden, you know, it's like we matter to them and it's, yeah. it's, it's a really strange thing, but, but continuing off of that a little bit, um, I do want to ask you, cause you were in prison, uh, during, you know, the pandemic for a little bit, not the whole <laughs> thing, of course, uh, but for a while, like you were, 
you know, in the, in the middle of it. And I kind of want to hear how that was. And then like going out into the middle of the pandemic, like how that was for you, you know, what you had to do, what was going on, just stuff like that. So man, like, obviously I wasn't there for the whole pandemic because this this is a continuous thing that we're still uh, living through right now as we speak. But I was definitely there when it cracked off and like the whole like lockdown and like, man, just how the prison system works. Like, oh, you know, maybe you guys will get visits back in a month or or maybe we'll lift restrictions a month. And they still haven't lifted restrictions. In fact, it's been more restricted. And uh, sadly, you know, there's actually a lot of cases at Columbia River right now. When I was there, there was no cases. There was always like those like rumors like, oh, I think this person, they went to hold, they might have COVID. Or, but like they're like, now it's like they do have COVID, man. And they have a lot of lot of people with COVID. It's like, it's, it's sad, you know, reality. But yeah, it's just um, when I was there, man, just like, it was just crazy, man. Because they started just restricting stuff. Like we couldn't go to yard. Uh, we we could only go to yard for like 30 minutes at a time, you know. And like we, we could only be with our units that were combined, like sister units. So those two units are the only units that are allowed to technically, you know, be together. Obviously, if you work in other units and stuff, you like other places, like I used to work intake. So I, I would see other people in units and then just like being the liaison for the long community, I, I can basically go whatever unit or sometimes I go to different yards. And stuff. But again, it's like a plane on that whole like, oh, this I know this CEO doesn't mind because they know me like weird mentality. Yeah, it was just weird. And it was actually like <clears throat> a lot of tension, too, because like, you know, like, the people in prison, like um, Columbia River House is like a lot of old, elderly folk, you know, and then even just like people that have no clue what's going on, because even people in society didn't know what's going like going on, you know, so there's just a lot of panic and intention and then add in to like people can't aren't going outside. So now tensions are raised and people can't uh, call their family members because uh, you know they're doing out stuff because it's a pandemic and um, they're trying to collect this that and the other food toilet paper and stuff and then or just like they're just um, busy and so like and then like you come in with the officers and the COs and they're not properly wearing their masks or they're not properly like they're touching everything and then some of them making a joke out of the pandemic like it's not serious you know they're coming in angry themselves and like taking already you know they already do that and taking it on us but like you know, obviously we don't have, uh, we don't have programs. They stopped doing programs. So like, uh, Juma, they stopped living, like going home to any of the programs they stopped, you know? So people don't have those resources to like go, you know, just relax and just, uh, relieve some stress and like cool down and like, uh, think of something outside of those, you know, four walls. It's, you know, just a melting pot for disaster. That wasn't good. Just seeing everybody, you know, stressful and everything like that. And then at the time they switched to CenturyLink, so they switched phone operation systems. So like that was a big like deal because like CenturyLink actually has like some lawsuits in other like states, particularly for prison, because like they are known to like do some shady stuff, which they were kind of doing at Columbia River. Like people couldn't would put money on and they wouldn't be able to get get it. And then you add that to like people like already like locked in the unit, and now they can't even call their loved ones or their family members. Is like, but um, transitioning out though, like. You know, it is definitely different, but at the same time, it wasn't, you know, it's not too bad. You know, I was already locked up so coming out here. It's not, this isn't locked up. Like I, I hear people like say like, oh man, this is horrible. We're just, we're, it's like, we're, it's like, we're locked up. It's like, no, no, it's not like you're locked <laughs> up, bro. Not at all. You, you're free. Um, I love, I actually love being at my house. I've got no reason to be out, not hanging out with anybody, you know, especially not for my past lifestyles. So like if I'm going out there's a reason for me going out and I'm orchestrating a plan on how I get out. I'm not just 
wandering, you know, I'm going from point A to point B. So really, it wasn't that bad, you know, and it's actually kind of it makes things easier. I felt this in the past before, like when you first get out and you're like around a bunch of people, it's like, because like, you know, you're used to prison, like, well, back up off me, like, don't get too close to me, you feel me? Um, type of mentality, like, like, watch it, like, watch your space. I, I don't mind being six feet apart from people, you know? Okay, thank you. Like, it's, it, it makes it easy. Like, I'm in the store and you're telling me I'm not, people aren't bumping into me. And I'm thinking like, man, what is going on? I'm, they're trying to avoid me. It's actually, it kind of makes it an easy transition. But at the same time, it's like, I can see how it's hard for some people, especially like older people, you know, coming out and like, they don't know how to use technology. They don't know how to use this or they've never been inside of Walmart, you know? Or they've never been inside like the a new the new Walmart or the new this the new that they're already confused and then they have to abide by these guidelines and they're just like but for me man it's like alhamdulillah you know praise be God it, it it hasn't been too bad and there has been instances where I'm like wait oh yeah I have to, oh man I forgot my mask like but other than that man it hasn't been bad at all and that's like when I got out and that's one thing that made it a really hard was when I. You know, I went to the grocery store like my second day out or like my, I can't remember. Yeah, it was, it was like my second or third day out. And there were people like bumping into my car. There were people like reaching over me just to get some groceries. And that mm-hmm. set off like all kind of like PTSD Alarm and other and stuff. And I was I, like, I had to step outside of the store mm-hmm. and go to my car and just like, like take some deep breaths and then try like to go back inside because it was just too much. I mean, that makes sense, man. But yeah, like that's that's our interview. We went we went over time quite a bit, but I you know this is good information and I appreciate it. Anything kind of like final words you want to say to the audience or anything you want to leave us with? Yeah, man. Um, I just want to say you know um, thank you for having me on your show and just letting me you know basically express a little bit of my experience with everybody and whatnot. And uh, I really appreciate that. And it was you know it was good catching up with you because um, we haven't been able to. You know, even talking a while just because of the whole pandemic and whatnot. So it's always good to hear from you. And it's good to be on your show, man. I, I, I really appreciate it, man. So thank you. I want to thank Zafar and everyone out there listening. We'll see you next time.